you need someone to say, hey, listen, sit down with us, we'll do a 10-day evaluation, we'll find out what's wrong with you, we'll create this great piece of work that we understand you from all these different angles and give you this tailored intervention and treatment program and we help you moving forward there. And I think that's one thing, you know, Jay Flowers does so beautifully. And that's the thing that's missing in London, I think. It's really difficult. It's a lot of self-knowledge. You've got to go out there and search and see And that's what people find difficult. And I think that's what people are really struggling with. Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Understanding the Human Condition. I'm your host, Dr. James Flowers at J. Flowers Health Institute right here in Houston. And I'm so excited today to introduce everyone to our London psychologist, Faraday Banafshe. Faraday, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. How's London today? London is good. We're actually getting a little bit more of the warm weather coming through. It's been, you know, nothing compared to Houston, but for (laughs) us, it's relatively warm. So yes, it's nice. It's, you know, it's feeling like spring is arriving. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, asking about, I'll get into your history in a little bit in just a minute, but the big thing on everybody's mind today is the coronation. So how was it leading up to the coronation? What was the stress of the city? What was the state of the, the mindset in the UK? Because just, you know, everybody thinks, well, yeah, this is just an event, right? But it also has an impact on everyone. It has an impact on our really human condition, right? And it, things in London stopped, right? You had to pause. Everybody had to pause and celebrate this or not celebrate it, but had to recognize it by not being able to work in you know, certain days. And so tell us about the experience leading up to and then after the coronation. I think it was such a monumental time and experience for everyone because there were some people who lived through now three coronations. They watched the queen and then you know now they're watching charles and the anticipation you know i think he's been living a whole life waiting for his moment to be coronated yeah. and you see it in him you could see it in the people i think it was it's always a lovely time because there's so many street parties there's so many people that come together to celebrate even if they're not celebrating the royal family as such they're celebrating an element of being together yep. and i think that was probably taken away during the pandemic and covid so The idea of everyone being able to come together. And so for every coronation, we have a dish that's almost given to and named after the person who's been coronated. So for the queen, it was coronation chicken. Oh, yeah. So, you know, lots of people don't recognize the coronation chicken is very staple in British kind in their cuisine. And they don't recognize that it was actually given to the queen when she was coronated. Wow. For Charles, there's a coronation quiche. 
Wow, okay. Excellent. So everyone who was into baking was baking hundreds and hundreds of quiches and giving them out in the streets. And, you know, it was really, really lovely. The weather was, and it was different. You know, I think there's so many tourists that come around. I know there's lots of people from all around the world that follow the royal family religiously. And it's an element of everything, isn't it? It's fashion, it's celebrities, it's royalty, it's everything together. So it brings, it puts England back on the map a little and, you know, yeah. So it was really, really fun. And it's somewhat seeing a fairy tale in real life. Yes. You know, but traditions backdate for hundreds and hundreds of years. So yeah. it is seeing this entire kind of almost historical element of, of England yeah. coming through. Again. Absolutely. So what did you do? How did you participate? So my neighborhood, I live near Little Venice. So there's a river and there's all the different streets came together and there's flags put up everywhere and everyone has almost we've got communal gardens so we all share a space and I didn't attempt to cook the quiche I won't (laughs) (laughs) I didn't attempt to cook the quiche but it was sitting with the neighbors and just really really enjoying it so yeah that's how I celebrate that's so wonderful well congratulations on all of that I think it's amazing of course everyone here not everyone but so many people got up at 3 a.m in the United States to watch and and it was quite the event watching from here. So too bad we couldn't have all been there. <laughs> so yeah. So Faraday, you really represent and work with Jay Flowers Health Institute in London as a psychologist. Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us about, you know, all the way from where were you born and how did you end up in London or were you born in London and why you decided really to become a psychologist? Sure. So I'm originally from an Iranian heritage, but I was born in London. I've been here my whole life. I've been in central London my whole life. However, with that comes, you know, the melting pot of London. There's so much diversity here and there's so much the richness in the city of London, especially in the centre. And so let's, if we go all the way back to my childhood, you know, the irony is I think a lot of people go into psychology thinking, I know I want to become a psychologist. I know I want to do this. But for me, it was always this thing between my two passions were economics and psychology. When I was younger, much younger than I am now, when I was about 18, (laughs) I had the choice of picking between psychology and economics. And I think I picked finance initially. I hadn't picked psychology, I picked finance and I went into this world that was very robotic, you know, quite rigid and producing huge projects, you know, relating to government and regulation, all these different things, but it didn't fulfill me. It didn't give me an element of satisfaction. It was fun. I was young, but it got to a point that the irony, the transition between economics and psychology hit one day on, I think I was about 25. Mm -hmm a gentleman who shared a desk next to me and he was just about to retire so he was about 67 and he said to me you know Faraday every day you come into work and you're really young and you sigh so loudly it's annoying me <laughs> as he's leaving the building to retire yeah and he said it so so flippantly he's like you sigh so loud and I'm looking at you full of youth and I'm like come on get it together <laughs> that is fantastic and- he was really honest about it and to be honest to be frank he highlighted something for me which was I do this it's fine and you know everyone works in different industries and some people love it and I didn't and on a whim on a risky whim I quit my job with no actual plan of what I want to do in my life (laughs) 
And then I went back to the drawing board and I realised I really enjoy psychology. I really enjoy the elements of human, you know, relational elements, everything to do with that. So I went back and did a master's in affective disorders at King's College London. And I picked that university because they're very leading in research and they've got a really strong background in the medical field here. So you you get to work with some of the best in the field and you're taught by some of the best in the field. And with that, it kind of unlocked this new passion in me. I did a lot of research on the effects of migration on people when they were, and the effects of migration on developing affective disorders. I did a lot of research on peri, with perinatal women, with people with addictions, and, and that kind of drew this passion in me. And I ended up working in addictions yeah. for quite a few years. And then in order to just expand, that's how I ended up doing a doctorate in counselling psychology. And now I'm near enough to the end of the doctorate and fingers crossed I'll be finishing that soon. But that's how I ended up in psychology. And I think it's been such a more fulfilling, really, really enjoyable career. I've been able to do some teaching and lecturing with psychiatry students. And, you know, they choose not to go into becoming a general practitioner, but working in mental health. I've done a lot of different charitable work. I work with older adults with dementia and work with you know leading forefront people who are developing these softwares almost with AI technology where you sit down and you're putting these headphones you know these headsets for people who can't leave the house James so and it's not just in this respect they've done it with older adults but realistically thinking about how technology can advance our practice and how we provide care so that's how I, and then, you know, I got to meet you and Robin through yeah. it. So, so that's one of the biggest points, isn't it? I got to come to Houston and see the wonderful work you do. And I think one thing that for me settled really nicely in my brain when I came out to see Jay Flowers Health Institute at the end of last year was actually how much of the forefront of medicine you actually are and actually of healthcare. Because in England, We are very well-versed in research, let's just say they are wonderful practitioners, but we're very risk-averse. So I think that actually in America, you're one step ahead of us in the type of care that you provide, the type of holistic care you provide, and how intricate and bespoke that could be, and how tailored that could be. And I think that was really inspiring and lovely to see. So Yeah, thank you very much. It was wonderful having you in Houston, but we love having you in London even more representing us. And you're doing an amazing job. You know, you talked a little bit about using AI telemedicine throughout COVID. I am sure that with the advent of COVID and coming on and then going away, you've seen, you really probably were as surprised as I was about the number of people who choose to continue to do telemedicine. This is true. I think there was such a big shift, wasn't it? And I think the shift happened so quickly in a way. In the whole world, I don't think any practitioner could have envisaged the way technology took over our healthcare and what we were doing with it and how we were doing the things we were doing. You know, people went from saying, you've got to turn up, you know, in the office at 12 o'clock for your appointment and that's that. And then suddenly we're entering the private homes and lives of absolutely everyone. But with that, I think there's so much to do with that in terms of it's opened up so many different doors, but we can't overlook the fact that actually sometimes we lose that human connection. Sometimes it's harder to convey the contextual elements of someone's reality or that what's happening for them. But what I've ended up seeing is that tech AI, especially in the last couple of years, has given the ability, almost got pushed to the forefront. So then perhaps it's development 
escalated really quickly. Yeah. But especially for people with agoraphobia, depression, anxieties, they've been able to create these secondary worlds and allow people with the use of, you know, any kind of virtual reality or any kind of video graphics to actually experience and immerse themselves in parts that they disconnected from for so long. Amazing. Are you leading them through these sessions when they're do using AI and virtual reality? Are you on one end of the computer talking to them or do they do it on their own? So there's two ways they can do it. There are headsets that they can get and they can have if they chose to have a practitioner with them in the home, that's completely fine. But they put the headsets on and they're initially, you can pick between different worlds you want to enter almost. So whether that's by a beach, you enjoy the walk by the beach, whether that's with nature, whether it's with animals. Sure. And you just go through this experience and you almost tell it what you want to see. So you tell the, you know, the, the developers of the technology. Unfortunately, at the moment, it's at a stage where they've created eight realities. Yep. So you have to pick between the eight realities. But if I give you an example, there was a gentleman with, with dementia who hadn't necessarily spoken in about a year. And the individuals in the care home were really worried because he expressed himself with one or two words only for the duration of a year. And he put this headset on and he went for a walk in a forest. And when he was younger, he had a dog that he would walk in the forest every day. And at the end of his experience, he took the headset off and he said, wow, that was amazing. Wow. So for someone who hasn't been able to articulate any kind of form of emotion, any kind of connection for that long, yeah. it's unlocking something in the brain that, that is able to connect people, even if their physical bodies can't be there. Yeah, absolutely. And you're always on the cutting edge. And so another word, I'm going to give you one word, and I want you to expand on it for all of us. <laughs> Saffron. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's, it's different, isn't it? I yeah. think so. A lot of buzz and craze is going on with herbal medicines and actually alternative medicines. Sure. I think there's so much going on with that. That's not to say that it's taking over medication or not to say that it doesn't have, you know, medication and talking therapies don't have a space, but the idea of a holistic, natural way of life is really coming forward with veganism and all these different ways of being. And one thing that's almost like a big buzz at the moment is the, uh, the use of saffron. So there's been a lot of work and research done in the idea of actually using saffron to combat some of the symptoms of anxiety and depression and using it to elevate the mood, increase libido and do all of these different things that people are finding as side effects of having these chronic mental health conditions. Sure. So, so two of the things that with depression and anxiety is lack of human connection, you know, lack of intimacy, lack of desire and motivation to do anything. People are finding that adding more saffron into your meals as a spice or into your rice or into your stews or whatever have you, whatever you fancy eating, has really helped elevate people's mood has really helped get people out of the house. And it's insane to say this because you wouldn't actually think, oh, the herbs and spices would make such a massive impact. But it's been found that being after being used in terms of three to four months, it's have had massive alleviation in depressive symptoms. And that's what a lot of herbal medicine, medicines sure. and a lot of doctors I've been speaking to at the moment have been suggesting that their clients use. Yeah, so many times we'll talk to our patients who have chronic pain syndrome about anti-inflammatory 
herbs, right? And things like cherries, cayenne, turmeric are all wonderful herbs to use for anti-inflammatory. I had not heard about saffron, so as soon as we hang up here, I'm going to go to the store and get some saffron. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really good. I think, you know, people who've had those long-term kind of, you know, even the idea of I've got a client who really finds it difficult to connect with his partner, and it's this really, really it's difficult, you know, this intimacy isn't there anymore. And he, he said saffron's made a really huge difference to him. So I That's think... That's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What other techniques do you use in your private practice in London? What's your, what's your go-to therapeutic approach when working with clients? I think, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords when we describe ourselves as practitioners, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. You know, in order, to, in order to allow people to really understand our way of working. But... So the best way to describe my work, I'm a really relational and integrative psychologist because the way I like to work is fundamentally understanding the root cause of what's going on for you. I think giving you tools is wonderful and fantastic, but if I place a band-aid on essentially what is going on for you, you'll be back in a couple of months with a different set of issues, you know? And I think if I really work, so I I love using, you know, psychodynamic therapy, like contemporary psychoanalytic work to understand someone from their childhood, from their relational upbringing. What was it like? You know, what are your core memories? What was it like with your parents? What was it like growing up for you? And, you know, then taking that and seeing how that's manifested in someone's current life. Mm -hmm. So that when we give you tools, we help you heal from the original wounding source if the issue came from the idea of, you know, a really broken relationship with your father and it's manifesting in your 20s and 30s and 40s in a way that you don't know how to control the anxiety that you feel from it now and you think you're getting nervous in work meetings, for example, or really anxious presenting, or but actually the root cause is when you were six or seven years old. No matter how many tools I give you, cognitive behavioural therapy-wise or anything, it's not necessarily going to do what you want it to. So I like to work from the root cause all the way up until now, and then we can start to give you tools that work for you Mm -hmm. and hopefully maintain genuine therapeutic change in the future so you don't find yourself going through the loop of therapist after therapist after therapist. Yeah. While you were talking, it reminded me of a conversation I just had this week with a young man actually in, gosh, somewhere else, California, I believe, in the United States here, who called and he said, I just don't understand my behavior. And I said, well, what's the behavior that you're looking at? And he said, well, I had a girlfriend for six years and we had a wonderful relationship. And then I ran into an old girlfriend from eight years ago And we started having conversations, and I didn't tell my current girlfriend about those conversations. And then she asked me to go to dinner, so we went to dinner with her. And then it elevated, of course, from dinner into intimacy, right? And then so he started having a dual relationship with both women. And that went on for another six months, and neither woman, of course, knew about it. And then he met a third woman who he didn't tell about the other two women and was courting this third woman, And then, of course, they all found out about it, right? And they all met at one location, called him and said, meet me here. And he walked up and all three of these women are sitting there. And he's like, I just don't understand my behavior. You know, am I a sex addict? Am I, you know, an addict in general? What's going on? I don't understand why I act like this. I've never done it before. And I said exactly the same thing to you is, look, we need to go all the way back. And we need to look inside and outside 
from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Really look at personality-driven, look at your attachments in your life, look at parents, and really take time to understand who you are and how you think about relationships, right, in your life. And do a full 360-degree evaluation and figure out what is going on because you can't just slap a label on it. You're a sex addict. Just, you know, if you haven't ever done this before, right, and it happened over the last year, I don't know if you're an addict on the telephone or not. I don't know what your personality is. But let's really take time and evaluate from that 360-degree psychoanalytic approach as you were talking about and go all the way back and even look at attachments to parents and what their relationships were and what their relationship styles were. And so he was super excited, of course, is on his way to do an evaluation. And I know that we'll help people figure those things out. And I think that you're so good at doing that in London. I wish you'd move over here to the U.S. and work with us here. (laughs) You know, I, how about I do you better, James? How about we create a second Joe Flowers in London? There you go. (laughs) Me as many times as you want. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need to continue to talk about that. Yeah, that's right. Tell me more about what therapy in general, how do people access therapy in the UK? Because I know, you know, obviously in the United States, it's either a private pay or an insurance base. But what is the system like in the UK and how easy is it to access good or difficult mental health in the UK? Because a lot of people fly to the US for healthcare. A lot of people fly and you guys have amazing healthcare. But a lot of people choose to come here. So what's your experience with speaking with your patients and their difficulty of finding a good mental health therapist or psychologist or, or a psychiatrist? I think it's, you know, it's slightly different here than it is in America because we have the national health system, mm-hmm. which is obviously free health care. However, what it was, let's say, 50 years ago is very different to how it is today. And it's really on almost, you know, for for lack of a better term, it's almost on its knees. It's really difficult to access mental health care, actually healthcare in general, but it's extremely hard. The waiting lists are as long as one year, the way, you know, and you've got people, hundreds of people waiting to access care. And unfortunately, you know, the most that they can actually provide at the moment is checking up on the telephone with a 10 minute phone call. Are you okay? Your symptoms haven't changed. Have they worsened or not? And they're given at best six weeks of worth of free treatment. So we're seeing a really huge shift go on to private healthcare. So there is a lot of people seeking out insurance and a lot of practitioners that work with insurers to provide almost more accessible care. Because, you know, people are needing the immediate kind of help and they're seeking it. They are seeking the help because... There's been a huge shift. There's been a huge shift of acceptance of mental health. And actually, there's been a lot of different terminology that's been used in the last few years, especially, that have almost helped people access the idea of actually explaining how they're feeling rather than denying or pushing it aside. But what that's done is created this immense need. And you're finding different practitioners, psychiatrists, psychologists trying to meet those needs. So a lot will work for, for the NHS, the national health system, but a lot have then stepped away in, in providing private health care. Yep. And I think that you hit the nail on the head because of this need for it and this desire for it, but not necessarily having very obvious spaces to go to. People end up coming to America. You know, so many of our clients end up coming to, to Houston to, for, to Joe Flowers because of that. Right. Because actually 
you need someone to say, hey, listen, sit down with us. We'll do a 10-day evaluation. We'll find out what's wrong with you. We'll create this great piece of work that we understand you from all these different angles. And we give you this tailored intervention and treatment program. And and we help you moving forward there. And I think that's one one thing, you know, Jay Flowers does so beautifully. And that's the thing that's missing in London, I think. It's really difficult. It's a lot of self-knowledge. You've got to go out there and search and seek. And that's what people find difficult. And I think that's what people are really struggling with here. Yeah, I agree. And it really is all about coming down to understanding, helping them understand their human condition, right? And uncovering that and allow them to go home and thrive and live a happy, healthy, thriving, wonderful life. And not just, you know, you said something. What I was saying is, is go back and thrive and not just survive. And you took that leap of faith back in your first job where you said you would come in and just kind of sigh. And for a while, you were just going in every day. It was your job. You did your job. You went home and you were like, eh, you know. And then this gentleman was the impetus of your behavior change who was at the end of his career and said, go do something else, right? If you're not happy, go, go do something. Figure out what's going on. And you took time off and you reflected on your life and you said, I think I'm going to go work with people in psychology. And I think that was an amazing, clearly an amazing right decision for you because you have such a passion for this. And it shows every day, every time we talk on the phone and we talk about either shared patients or patients that you're working with, either in private practice or with Jay Flowers, it really does show the depth of knowledge and understand your understanding of the entire human system and condition of working with families. And I appreciate it so much. No, thank you, James. Wonderful working alongside you and Robin and Michael as well, and the whole team, really. Yeah. I think it, they speak, so, you know, when I ended up coming, when I was in Houston, I met so many of the, the clients there because I think my work in London is very specific in terms of we do the pre-assessment work and we get them out to Houston and they end up sure. through their treatment programs. But I was able to connect with the clients after that. So actually in the middle of their treatment programs, coming towards the end of their treatment programs, yeah. And I think the difference in how they feel is monumental. Like you use the word thrive. It's literally is that you're giving people back agency and autonomy and individuality and power. And I, there is no price that you can set on. There is no alternative to that, I think. And that's the biggest part of treatment. Absolutely. I agree. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but Faraday, thank you so much. And I know it's evening time in London, so I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. And we will talk again. What would you like to leave our listeners with and your concept of your own view of understanding the human condition? That's a good question. I think think understanding and seeking an internal peace from within and really understanding yourself in a 360-degree way unlocks parts of you that you couldn't ever imagine so if you could ever seek anything is to seek an eternal understanding of your inner world yeah. that would probably be a lot absolutely good thank you for doing what you do thank you for working with us and i know you also have a thriving private practice and we'll talk to you very soon all talk right soon. have a take wonderful care. evening take care thanks, thanks everybody you can find jay flowers health institute at jflowershealth.com Or you can call us at 713-783-6655. And we'll see you all soon. Take good care. Bye-bye. 
And I'd like to remind everyone watching or listening to us that there are numerous platforms to find our podcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Please share this episode on social media or with someone that you think it could help. Absolutely. And we remind you also that a clear diagnosis is key to the most effective treatment possible. Yes, it is. See you next Thanks week. Thanks again, Robin. Thank yep. you.